We hope you enjoy listening to this podcast of St. Louis on the Air, brought to you by University College at Washington University. With undergraduate and graduate programs, part-time, evening, and online. University College at Washington University, offering world-class education within reach. Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Don Marsh. Today, a conversation with Wesley Bell, the new St. Louis County prosecuting attorney. He was sworn in at the beginning of the month following his stunning election victory over veteran prosecutor Bob McCullough. Bell has wasted little time putting his prints on the office, including making some key staff changes and announcing new strategies in prosecuting certain crimes. Wesley Bell joins me in studio to discuss the job as he sees it. Great to have you with us. Good afternoon. We say you hit the ground running, and you sure did. You got off to a very fast start. You know, the, the, the point was to hit the ground running, but also listening. There's a lot of great people in that office, and we want to make sure we take advantage of the institutional knowledge in that office. And, and so I've been very um, deliberate about meeting with every single person in that office. Well, one of the first things you did was remove someone from that office who had about 35 years of institutional knowledge. Uh, why was she let go? Did it have anything to do with the Darren Wilson case and the lack of an indictment? Well, you know, these are current employee matters, and so I don't think it's appropriate to comment on them at this time. Um, you know, having said that, uh, we wish those individuals well, and and we're going to move forward implementing the reforms that voters put put us in office to do. Could could you at least tell us whether or not that dismissal had anything to do with the Wilson case? Is there a connection? No, there's 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 no connection. Having said that, these are current pending matters, and so. Um, I don't think it's appropriate for me to talk about current employee matters. Sure. So I understand that. But you understand, too, that uh, that particular case has a lot of people interested, which brings me to the next part of it. It's been broadly speculated that um, you are leaning towards reopening the uh, the case against Aaron Wilson, the, the man who shot Michael Brown. And, and Mr. Marsh, if any speculation is just that, um, what we've been focusing on are implementing these reforms that I that I actually campaigned on. And so it's been about two and a half weeks. And as you know, that's been the focus. Um, if there are any forthcoming announcements on any case, you know, I would let I would let you all know. But at this point, what we're doing is we're focusing on implementing the reforms that Voters put us in office to do. Uh, well, just one more question on that, and that is the fact that uh, would the Justice Department's uh, position on the Brown case have any influence at all on any action you might take in the future? You know, I, again, <laughs> it, it, we are, you know, again, there, there were certain promises that I ran on, that I campaigned on for six months or, or and actually longer. Um, and those and, and these are things that these are reforms that are going to benefit this region. These are reforms that are going to make sure that everyone is given a fair shake. And and as I've talked to people all across the county, that's what voters and residents of St. Louis County want. And, and that's what we're going to focus on. Another issue that has gotten a lot of attention is the fact that uh, you are not going to be seeking the death penalty against the man accused in the the Catholic supply shop murder. Uh, That's a firm and fast decision, I assume. Well, and again, you know, and, you know, you were actually um, an exception to this, but not many people in the media 
paid attention to our race mm-hmm. um, early on. I think they, you know, I, I think the media by and large were kind of the last to catch on that something was going down. Now, I, I talked to you, um, so I know you're kind of the exception to that rule, but um, I've been very, very clear in my position on the death penalty, and there's two things that we know about it. One is that it is uh, primarily um, disproportionately um, implemented with respect to poor people, and that can mean anyone, as well as minorities. Um, and um, it is not a deterrent. The um, When we look at the, the uh, jurisdictions that have the, the death penalty, we see higher homicide rates. And when we see uh, jurisdictions without the death penalty, we tend to see lower homicide rates. And so um, I, I think that it's, uh, you know, I, I, again, I think that this is a, I support policies that work. And as much as I, you know, feel for the, the victims' families, and, and I can't tell you how much, um, th- how, I can only imagine how hard that is to deal with um, and so, you know, we, we make, you know, I've been making a point to to meet with 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 them. And that's something that we'll be doing. We've only been in there two weeks, but that's something that we'll be doing. As a matter of fact, I just left a wake for a, a family of a, of a, of a victim. Um, and so, you know, we are. Um, but, you know, with respect to that, I think it's you know, it, it, it's a policy that um, just costs taxpayers millions of dollars. Mm-hmm. It doesn't give the closure because we're talking about a process that can extend beyond 20 years. Um, And what we're going to do is use all of the resources in that office to make sure that people who commit those horrific crimes go to jail for the rest of the rest of their life without the possibility of parole. uh, We should point out that the family of the victim in that particular case is supportive of your decision. Is that correct? Um, That's my understanding, but I don't want to focus on that i i've i feel for them and um you know my condolences are with them um and and so i don't want this to be a political issue you know we want to do our job and make sure that we treat victims and their families with the utmost dignity and and respect and and so i don't want to answer that in the context of a sure political statement, so I'm not going to do that. One, one other uh, question with regard to the death penalty, however. Can you imagine there could be any kind of a scenario in which you would uh, back away from your opposition to the penalty? Well, I mean, the thing about, you know, and that question is interesting because the thing about murder and homicides is that there are no good facts. Mm. They're all bad facts. Um, you know, so it's not as if, you know, when someone loses their life, well, this situation is, um, you know, is is going to be, you know, it's not like this uh, one situation is going to be different. Someone lost their life. And um, and so on a personal level, I, I understand. I get it. I mean, if, if someone um, committed a horrific crime like that to one of my, fam- my family members, personally, I would want to... to do it myself. You know, I, I, I understand and I can relate to that. And I, and I feel for the victims' families. Um, having said that, from a, po- from a public policy standpoint, from a policy, p- policy standpoint, I should say, uh, you know, again, we're, we're talking about a, a type of punishment that 
costs taxpayers millions of dollars. It, um, you, you, you're, we're talking about per individual with the that is sentenced to death. You're talking another seven hundred thousand dollars to taxpayers and in the appeals process and all those things. And then we're talking about an appeals process that will take decades. Um, and so, you know, of, of, of course I think about those kind of things and, and in situations that I've seen just in these last two weeks, um, you can't help but to personally want revenge. But I think we have to be above that and beyond that. And, and we have to look at what's best for, for our community. What do you make of the uh, the recent unionization of your staff members? A lot of people have suggested that they did that because they wanted to protect themselves from you and protect their jobs. You know, on the outside looking in. We said you hit the ground running. <laughs> <laughs> on the outside looking in, I could see people having that perspective. But I've had a chance to talk to uh, many, you know, staff attorneys, support staff in that office. And um, the the reception has just been amazing. Uh, I support uh, workers' rights to unionize and, and organize. Um, and so, uh, and, and I'm a union guy. I, I was, uh, in my old life, a few weeks ago, I was a member of the NEA as a college professor and so I support support that having said that there are some concerns with this particular the choice of a union and so again I yeah. want to be clear we're not I, there's no concern with prosecutors who want to unionize but there's a there's a concern with the choice of the union because we're we're talking about put real and potential conflicts and as prosecutors we are to one of our roles our duties is to serve as checks on law enforcement and it not only does it create conflicts in certain situations, but there's also the appearance of, of, of impropriety. And as prosecutors across the country are fighting to show, are, are fighting the perception that there is not independence between prosecutors and law enforcement, um, I think there is a concern with, um, again, looking at this, if I was, a, you know, as citizens and many citizens have said, is, is that it, just, it doesn't look in addition to the conflict. So that's something that we're going to work with um, in good faith and we'll make sure that those issues get addressed um, and in a manner that um, respects their rights. But at the same time, we have to make sure that we're able to do the job and the duties of the prosecutor. But for those who don't know, we're talking about a union that represents police officers as well. So that's what that's all about. Exactly. And, and that's the, the choice that we're talking about uh, with respect to prosecutors unionizing with police officers. Well, we're going to be certainly talking about the many reforms that you have promised and some have implemented. Is there any um, – does this union situation make it more difficult in any way to implement any of those reforms? Not at all. No. Um, we are going to – implement the reforms that St. Louis County voters uh, put me in office to do. And um, and regardless of how that plays out, and again, they have an absolute right to do that, um, that's not going to stop us from implementing these reforms. And so, no, not at all. Let's talk about uh, your proposal with regard to child support and uh, moving non-payment of child support from the criminal to the civil courts. 
that is, I think, probably getting as much feedback as, uh, as anything you've done so far. Uh, make your case for why you're doing that, and I'll give you some, uh, some comments from people who have uh, sent us some emails on that. And I appreciate the question because this is a nuanced issue, <clears throat> and it does and, and, it, and it's hard to say it in a quick blurb. And so uh, I want to be able to explain that. And so, you know, I, I, there's two points that I'll make. First and foremost is that, um, you know, if you followed our campaign and followed the promises that we made that voters voted me in for, what I would ask is, you know, what part of alternatives to incarceration for nonviolent and low-level offenders was I not clear about? Mm-hmm. Um, that's what I ran on. And, and, and we want to make sure that nonviolent, low-level offenders have um, – we, we, we look at alternatives to give them the support that they need so that they can turn their life around or, in this case, support their families. And so let me get more detailed about or specific about the um, collection of child support. So first and foremost, I want to make it clear, our office will use our resources to help custodial parents um, collect their child support. That will not change. There's two ways that we can do that. We can do it through the criminal, uh, from a criminal uh, context, or we can do it through a civil contempt um, process. And so both, for the worst case offenders, both can result in incarceration. So that that parent who just has the means, refuses to take care of their children, both of those routes can end in incarceration. The difference is that if you go through the criminal route, that individual um, not only can be incarcerated, but now will have a felony on their record. And we know how tough that is to, to get a job. And I want people to understand why this is important. For those worst case offenders, incarceration is, is so that they pay their debt, they receive their punishment, correct the behavior, and then they move on to do the things that they're supposed to do. Well, the problem with a criminal conviction is that If you assume that person is incarcerated, the light comes on and now they want to do well and take care of their families. They can't Mm -hmm. because they have that record. And we know how difficult it is for people to get uh, jobs without uh, with with a felony record. Now, we go through the civil contempt side and that same person is incarcerated. The light switch goes on. They want to do well. Well, that's not going to hurt them. Mm -hmm. It's not going to hurt their their opportunities to get jobs, get housing, go back to school. And so. We will be using our resources to help those moms and dads collect child support. We'll go through the civil contempt route, which for the worst case scenarios, the option of incarceration is still there. I want to make that clear. Uh, but we want to avoid um, the, the criminal side of it. I mean, these are civil orders, and that's how we're going to deal with it. There was a, a piece in one of the papers or somewhere suggesting a member of your staff is is considerably in arrears. That has to be somewhat embarrassing for you to have that come out, given the context. You know, it's it's really not. And I think it actually serves as the point of what we're doing here. In this case, and let me be clear, I will generally not make comments about any employees in that office. Uh, this in, individual has given me permission to talk about it, and so I will talk about it briefly. Um, this was a situation where Um, um, his children lived with him. They've lived with him for several years. And his ex-wife, they came to an agreement through the civil courts. They came to an agreement, an amount, that uh, that amount, he is in compliance with that amount. And 
I think that's the point. We want to give people an opportunity. These are generally civil matters. And we're not talking about the worst offenders that rise to potential criminal matters. This was not in that situation. Uh, but at the same time, I do. Yeah, I do get it. We, and, 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 I'm, and I'm glad that he takes it so seriously to where he wants to make sure he takes care of it. And he's giving me permission to talk about it. So um, I think that serves as the example of what we're trying to do. You've only got three years and 50 more weeks of this, Wesley. <laughs> That's all. <laughs> That's all. We are talking with Wesley Bell, who is the uh, prosecuting attorney in St. Louis County. We'll continue that conversation in just a moment. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU. Thank you for listening to this St. Louis on the Air podcast supported by University College at Washington University with undergraduate and graduate programs part-time evening and online. University College at Washington University, offering world-class education within reach. And welcome back. We'll continue our conversation with Wesley Bell in just a moment. But first, here are some of the stories our St. Louis Public Radio newsroom is following today. St. Louis County Council's Ethics Committee is convening today to discuss the St. Louis Economic Development Partnership Board's questionable relationships with developers. The hearing comes after the partnership's CEO, Sheila Sweeney, stepped down. She faced accusations that County Executive Steve Stinger had undue influence over the partnership's dealings. With a push to force a statewide vote on a merger between St. Louis County and the city of St. Louis, several state legislators are speaking out against the idea. Lawmakers from throughout the state are saying only city and county residents should get to decide the region's fate. And a new report called the 2018 Equity Index gives St. Louis mediocre marks for racial equity. Join St. Louis Public Radio this afternoon for local and regional news and throughout the day on our website at stlpublicradio.org. Now back to the conversation with Wesley Bell. I'll get back to child and support in just a moment, but referring to one of those headlines there, this talk, uh, and you're hearing it too, obviously, about the potential for a city-county merger or consolidation. What do you make of that? That could impact your office if it ever comes to pass. You know, I think that that is a question that should be left solely in the hands of the residents um, and voters. Um, you know, when we talk about the direction of this this region, I, I do think it's important that we um, that we do think regionally and that we work together. However, a a you know a, that issue I think has to be uh, decided by by the voters and and so. You know that that's my position on it, and 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 you know you have to see what the plan is, and and I look at Venita Park and Venita Terrace as being the only St. Louis County um, c- cities or municipalities to voluntarily join. And what the mayors and council and leadership of those cities did is they put a plan together, they uh, presented it to the to the voters, and the voters made a decision. Mm-hmm. And so I think that that that's what you know. Whatever that decision is, one way or the other, I think that it should be left in the hands of voters. Well, it could come down to one prosecuting attorney (laughs) rather than two. But that's yet to happen. We don't even know what the plan involves yet. But I I was interested in your take. Back to child support. Elaine writes, uh, 
uh, on this issue. What does he plan to do if he cannot be a what does he plan to do if it cannot be a civil contempt case? For example, the order originated from a different circuit. Will he not take those cases at all, or does he plan a special diversion program for criminal non-support cases? That's an excellent question. Um, the um, and and we do intend to use a diversional, a diversion type approach to our child support um, dockets as well. Matter of fact, I met with uh, Judge Burton, who has been the champion in St. Louis County and the courts. <clears throat> on the courts um, with diversion I mean, just doing a great job and he's been so supportive. And so we want to impl- and incorporate job readiness programs, um, job programs that actually uh, can get these individuals working so that they can support their family. And so we do intend to look at it as a diversion, um, a diversion type process. And now, now, even if they're from a jurisdiction, a different jurisdiction, if that jurisdiction doesn't have um, authority to proceed, then we would, obviously. And so in those cases, if it is a civil order, civil contempt is a, um, is a tool that, mm-hmm. that can be used to, to, to make certain that individuals are not just uh, shunning their responsibilities, which I think is very important. But at the same time, um, when I talk to uh, custodial parents, men and women, uh, um, th- what I, the feedback that I get is that they just want the support. They don't necessarily want the individual to get a felony conviction and go to jail, but they do want the support, and that's important. And so I think there's a way that we can um, we can use our resources to effectuate what actually will keep families together. Let's talk about some of the other reforms that you talked about during the campaign and get some sense of what has been implemented, what can be implemented, and where we are right now with some of these things. Uh, why don't you take the ball from here and say where we are at the moment? I'm happy to, Donna. Thank you. <laughs> um, one, one, and you know, first, and 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 I'm really proud of 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 what we've been doing thus far. We have a great team. Um, we are. We announced recently a a a great, a, a very large expansion of the diversion programs with community partners. Um, we are in the process of setting up an advisory committee, and that will be chaired by uh, Dr. Kendra Holmes, who is the COO at Affinia. And Affinia, uh, top down, has been so supportive, but there's also other community partners, such as the Urban League, such as Malincrat. So, and, and several other organizations that are jumping into the fray to help us provide resources so that we can um, so that we can offer more treatment and individualized treatment, which is so important. And much of what these individuals are, are doing, matter of fact, everything that these organizations are doing are absolute have no cost to taxpayers. Um, the these are grants and organizations that are investing in these programs, community organizations, and so I'm really proud about that because when we look at the the what we look at where most of our crime is originating, the genesis is is often drugs, even directly or indirectly. It's often drugs, and there's a progression. People start at low level crimes, they progress to the violent crimes. So if we can address the root cause, we'll see our crime rates go down, and we're going to help people as well. And you keep them out of jail. And we keep them out of, out of jail, absolutely. And that saves taxpayer dollars, ast- astronomical amounts of money as well. 
What, what does it cost to incarcerate a person? Do you have a number that uh, you... It, it, you know, on average, we're talking in the 30,000 range. But keep in mind, that is, but if, if someone has a special needs, health care needs, mental health care, that, that's footed by mm-hmm. St. Louis County in St. Louis County and as well as St. Louis City and St. Louis City. And so, um, um, and so, yeah, so when we, if, you know, if we increase, decrease, excuse me, the jail population for low-level nonviolent offenders, obviously we're not talking about violent offenders. If we just decrease it by five to six percent, we're saving, uh, we're saving um, several hundred thousand dollars just for a small, and it's probably actually more. We're still trying to um, get those hard numbers, but we, when we look at other jurisdictions where you've seen a greater decrease, we can save the county millions of dollars. Mm-hmm. Um, now, there is some infrastructure that we're going to need that we need to catch up with in St. Louis County. In St. Louis County, we don't have drug drug commissioner. And St. Louis City has two. But we have three times the population, and we don't have a, a dedicated docket or dockets for these types of courts. And so that's something that I see an appetite for in, in the county. Um, I, I think that's something that will get done, but that's something that we're going to have to work together and partner with not only the county council, the county executive, and county government, and our community partners as well. I gather that some police officers are not happy with your your position on no warrants uh, in Class D and E felonies. Um, well, that's not accurate. Uh, uh, let me let me clarify, and I and mm-hmm. I appreciate you bringing that up. What we're saying is that uh, for nonviolent offenses, where an offender is not a threat to anyone, those are the ones where we would say let's issue a summons. Now, an exception to that, which is in that interim policy, which was not which was not finalized. It was intended to start our discussion internally, mm-hmm. but give some guiding principles that we could start. But be that as it may, um, there are exceptions. If there is a if, if if a victim or an individual is threatened prior to, during or after, um, that would be an exception to executing a warrant. And so any we, we're the point of Investing in diversion programs, the point in invest in and reevaluating the cash bail system for nonviolent offenders is so that we can allocate more resources to the serious and violent crimes, and that's what this is about. And so, um, you know, I saw I saw the uh, uh, one in- individual critique, which was disappointing because I would have rather them just come to us and talk about it, like so many. Uh, members and friends of ours in the law enforcement community did, but then there were some who decided to um, give inaccuracies about uh, the policies. But no, if if and it's clear in that document it says any ex- an exception is is a threat to anyone before, during, or after, and that would be cause to issue a warrant. And we're going to we're going to do that because the goal is to make sure St. Louis County residents are safe. You've only been on the job a couple of weeks. Uh, how would you characterize your relationship with the law enforcement at this time? I would think great. And we put the time in to make sure that we had a good relationship. After the primary, um, our one of our top priorities was to meet with every uh police chief and as many of the rank and file as we possibly could. And so St. Louis County is different because we have so many departments. And so that took a lot of time, but it was an investment well worth it. We wanted to open the line of communications. And I can say this, when criticisms came from certain individuals, there were so many uh, Mm -hmm. members of law enforcement that called me and said, no, we're with you. Um, We support you. And, um, and so I'm, I'm, I'm actually, um, 
encouraged by the response from law enforcement. We have another question here from a listener. If you had evidence of a crime committed within county government, would you recuse yourself from the case? Uh, Bob McCall said he would because uh, he campaigned for Steve Stanger. So I think that what I'm going to do is follow uh, the, the rules of ethics. <clears throat> and if it, is a, uh, if it is a conflict, then I will recuse myself. And I've been pretty clear about that as well. Uh, and so, you know, when we, you know, when we look at any of these kind of issues, when we talk about uh, police-involved shootings, things of that nature, I've said from the beginning I support independent counsel, independent counsel. And if there is a conflict within um, county government, then I would recuse myself. If there's not, then um, I then I wouldn't. However, you know, it's hard to talk about hypotheticals. Sure, sure. There uh, is always a learning curve when someone takes a new job and steps into a new b- position, a new world, if you will. Uh, obviously, that's going to be the case for you as it would be for anyone. Did you learn anything? Have you learned anything, do you think, from Kim Gardner's first year in office? You know, what, what I've made a point to do is to reach out and sometimes, in many cases, visit district attorneys, prosecutors in different jurisdictions and one of the questions that I ask is, um, in your first year, what, what did you do wrong? Mm-hmm. You know, we, we, it's easy to, to find out what people did right. And, and that's important, too. But, you know, I've been focusing on asking people, hey, if you had to do it over again, what would you do differently? What, what did you do wrong? And so, um, you know, so I've talked to not only Kim Gardner, Kim Fox, Larry Krasner, um, uh, Miss Ott in Houston. And so I've been able to... Uh, um, get a lot of good advice and 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 utilize that advice. And I'm keeping my own list of, of DA that comes along that asks me that same question. Um, and so um, I think we have to learn from our mistakes. And 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 I can say this, you know, there everyone has a day one, and so that that's part of the process. But I've been really pleased with um, our team and 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 um, and and the men and women in that office who have really, by and large, been so supportive. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm not sure she's going to answer your next phone call because you're taking one of her key prosecutors, aren't you, Robert Steele? (laughs) (laughs) You know, what we're doing is there's a civil service process, and um, anyone who applies, um, they will get, we will review those, and then we'll make a decision. And so we're going to let that process play out. Having said that, I will uh, I will be honest with you. Um, he was my first boss. Um, he's been a mentor. And so, of course, I would give consideration uh, to Mr. Steele. And he, his resume speaks for itself. And so having said that, we're still going to let that process play out. And, um, and, and then we'll take it from there. In other words, it's not a done deal exactly at this point. Exactly. Well, this conversation is, I'm afraid. I wish we had more time <laughs> to talk. So I want to thank you, Wesley Bell, for being with us. Good luck uh, in, the, in the ensuing three years and 50 weeks, as we put it. It is always a pleasure to be in the presence of a legend. Oh, my Mr. God. Mr. Marsh. Oh, my God. <laughs> thank you so much for being with us. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU.